Well, good morning. Hope you had a fantastic Christmas and a good New Year break with family and or friends. One of the most influential and um, and important figures of the 20th century for the, the Christian faith was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe some of you recognize that name. Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian from Germany. And towards the end of World War II, he was martyred. He was hanged by the Nazis because of his leadership and influence in the resistance movement to the Nazi regime. A little bit about him. He was a brilliant man at age 21. He got his Ph.D. Uh, One of the theologians of the day said that his Ph.D. thesis was a theological miracle. They didn't describe mine that way. Bonhoeffer became obsessed with this idea of God's presence among his people. As he looked at the the, the state of the country around him and the state of the church, he became so disillusioned, excuse me, so disillusioned by what he saw, the compromise and the capitulation that the, the German church made to the Nazi regime, that he started a resistance movement and he called it the confessing church. He insisted that Christ not Hitler, was the head of the church. As you can imagine, that stance and and that statement brought all sorts of pressure upon the confessing church, and in particular Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The official church went so far, the official church that was allied with Hitler, that had capitulated to Hitler, made it illegal to mention the names of anybody who had joined the confessing church. They went so far as to shut down the giving, any giving at all, and eventually ended their services. When faced by this, Bonhoeffer and the other leaders decided to start an underground seminary. And they used the seminary to train leaders and pastors to stand for the truth, people who would take the gospel of Christ seriously. It was in this context that in the the late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s, that Bonhoeffer wrote two books that are the most popular. One of them is called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a great book about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what it's going to cost us. The other one's called Life Together. It's about Christian community and the call we have and what the nature and quality of our life together is to look like. Now, because of his stance, a few of his friends thought he was a little too hardcore. They were concerned about him. And one friend in particular came to him one night at to this underground seminary and suggested that he should lighten up. In response, Bonhoeffer took his friend onto a boat and they rowed across the river and they climbed to the top of a hill. And they got to the top of the hill and they saw these Nazi fighter planes landing and taking off over and over and over. And hundreds of, of Nazi soldiers practicing doing, do, doing, through dr- doing drills and getting ready for, for war. And Bonhoeffer looked at this and he told his friend that this new generation of Germans who were in training, their disciplines were being formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And then he went on to say that it would be important and necessary and needed for Christians to be more disciplined, more focused and have a way of life and a worldview that would defeat the Nazis. As one preacher and writer puts it, describing this scene, as he reflects back upon this scene, he said there was a, there's this incredible contrast when you look at it. Bonhoeffer on top of this hill, looking at these fighter planes and the war machine of the Nazis, pointing at that group, and then pointing to his little ragged group of, of, of seminary students, 50 or 60 of them in total, 
and saying that, that we, these 50 or 60 people plus the, the confessing church, must be stronger than the discipline and the focus of the Nazis. As we know history, the Third Reich eventually fell, and the church remains strong. So the question for us today is, how can we remain strong, be found faithful in the end? How can we grow in faithfulness and fruitfulness in the light and the face of different worldviews and pressures around us? How can we do so in such a way that we do not conform or compromise or adapt, sadly, like the German church did back in the 30s and 40s? That's the same question that they faced that we face, that every Christian um, church faces, uh, it's the same question that the, the small group of Christians about 2,000 years ago faced in a small in a city called Philippi. Uh, Philippi is located in modern-day Greece. It's a, it was a Roman city that was deeply entrenched in Roman life and culture, and it was not an easy place to be a Christian. And so Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome to this small group of discouraged and young and scared Christians. They're a small minority about how to live genuinely Christian lives, even when society is pushing you to adapt and to compromise. And so Paul begins his letter to them with an agenda. He writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And he says this in chapter two, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is Paul's agenda in this letter. And then in chapter 3, he gets very practical. He tells them, avoid false teachers. Something which continues to be relevant today, doesn't it? And then in chapter 4, he describes what should be the normal or the normative Christian life. He says there are three practices, three core habits that is essential for any follower of Jesus Christ if we want to be found faithful, if we want to stand firm. So let's start with verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So there's the command. Stand firm, hold your ground, maintain your position. In the face of mounting pressure all around you, in the face of of worldviews that are contrary to the gospel, stand firm in your faith. And there are three core practices, three core habits that he, he, he admonishes us to be a part of. The first is to live in Christian community. Live in Christian community. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a specific church with specific problems and issues. We only have one side of the conversation. But we can figure out some of the other issues by by reading reading between the lines and and looking at his his arguments to to figure out what the issues were. And the part I want to talk about briefly is... In verses 2 and 3, it's apparent that there is some sort of disagreement or argument between two women in the church. Okay? No surprise. We're human beings. We're in a church. Whether it's men or women, uh, sometimes we're going to be in conflict. We're going to have disagreements, whether it's personalities or disagreements about ministry or or, or how we handle the situation. There's going to be disagreements at times. 
And, and this would have been let, this read, this letter would have been read to the whole church on a Sunday morning. So people would have heard and known that there's an issue between these two women. Now, we have no idea what the issue is, but we do know that there's some sort of issue. Because listen to what Paul writes. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, we don't know who that is, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, I'm sure if we were looking for reasons not to get along with somebody else in the church, we could probably find a reason. You know, if you look long enough. I mean, we're different people, different backgrounds, different experience, different expectations. But Paul tells these two women, and he tells us, Agree in the Lord. Be united. They have disagreements over something, but they have something even bigger that they can agree upon. He tells them to think in the same way in the Lord. You know, we've got to pursue the same mind in Christ. To stand against anything that will pull us away from genuine Christian fellowship. Because we need each other to grow. You know, one of the, one of the issues that uh, I, I see and I've read about and talked to other pastors about uh, is the idea of individualism. This idea that I've got a personal relationship with Christ. Yes, you do. That means I don't need other people in my life, speaking into my life, encouraging me, holding me accountable. But the, the Bible clearly lays it out that we are to be in relationship with each other. We need, we need each other to grow stronger in the faith of Jesus Christ. I mentioned Bonhoeffer, and this is what he has to say in his book, Life Together. If you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ, and thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. We need the church. We need to live in Christian community. That's not all. Another core habit Paul commends to us is prayer. Well, we're all supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to pray, right? Listen to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Sometimes we can tend to think about prayer as something we should do, an obligation. Some people really have a gift of prayer, but for a lot of us, you have to work at it, right? It's sort of like flossing your teeth or eating broccoli, you know? Um, but Paul sees prayer as something we must do. It's a privilege. It's a conduit, a way of relating to God. It's not just a spiritual discipline. It's a necessity. And if you read verses 4 through 7, look at them again, you'll see that there are some pretty unusual qualities that Paul wants to see exhibited in the life of his people. Joy and reasonableness, a non-anxiousness, and a peace that cannot be explained by circumstances. Have you ever met somebody who is joyful and reasonable? Who's non-anxious and who's peaceful even when their life is hard? I have. But we can only live this way if we're prayerful, if we're connected with God. 
Paul in other, other letters says we are to pray without ceasing, have a, a constant line of communication with God through prayer, through thought, through reflection, as we go through our lives, as we go through our days. He pictures a life in which we are in such constant communication with God that an entirely new way of existing begins to take shape in our lives and begin to act and to think and to feel differently. Sort of like the air that we breathe is necessary for our bodies physically to function, so prayer is like the oxygen to our spiritual life and vitality. We don't get enough, we're going to struggle. But there's one more core habit that we see in this passage, and that is to fill our minds with Scripture. You know, our lives are so busy, we often don't have time to stop and to think and to reflect upon our lives and our world. And if we're not careful, we can just be swept along in the tide, the current. The question I want to ask you is, what shapes your mind? What shapes how you think about people? What shapes how you think about yourself, about the world, about what's most important, about God? Verses 8 and 9 say, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure or lovely or commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The best way to fill your mind with what's true and lovely and pure and admirable and so on and so forth is to fill it with Scripture. There is nothing that will change a person's life as much as building a regular habit of Scripture intake into your life. Not just reading it, check it off the box, check the box, but filling your mind with it and thinking about those things and thinking about the world around you through the lens and the grid of Scripture. Fill our minds, Paul urges us, fill our minds with Scripture. Three core practices, three core habits. And that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer could stand on the hill and look at the Nazi fighting forces and look at the odds and still go back to his little seminary knowing that they had to build a set of practices through community, through prayer, through scripture that would ultimately lead to the downfall of the Nazi regime and the rise of the church. And today we must realize that we need a set of practices, core habits, that are stronger than all those in the world, lest we be shaped into the image of this world without us even being aware of it. So how can we stand firm? How can we be found faithful? By living in Christian community, by consistent, faithful prayer, and by consistently filling our minds with Scripture. As we look to 2019... I urge you and I challenge you. Whether that's not a part of your life yet, I encourage you to do so. You'll see a difference in your life. If it's a part of your life, I encourage you to continue that or to build upon that. Are you ready to build those habits into your lives? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We thank you that you are God in whom we can trust. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote these words and the challenge to us. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Help us to stand firm. Uh, We are to be in the world, yes. We are to be in relationship 
with people. We are to be light and salt. We're not to retreat off by ourselves. We're to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. So help us, Lord, to know how to do that. Uh, to, To stand firm in the midst of a current that's pulling the other direction. To stand firm for you, Lord. To be found faithful. To be consistently people. To be consistently people who love you and serve you. People of prayer. People of your word. And people who do life with each other. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.